Uh, kids, have, you ever par- have your parents uh, ever told you uh, not to do something because it is dangerous? Your, your parents ever told you not to do something because it's dangerous? You walk into the room, there's a hot iron out on the ironing board, and they say, don't touch that. It's dangerous. I don't want you to get hurt. Maybe you're playing out in the front yard and you kick a ball into the street and you take one or two steps to the street and mom or dad shouts, don't go in the street. It's dangerous. Maybe you're upstairs with your younger brother or sister and you're holding on to their arms or to their legs and you're swinging them around like a helicopter as fast as you can and they're building up speed and you want them to take off but just when you think they're about to take off, a parent comes upstairs and says, what are you doing? Put your brother down. That's dangerous. And you probably think to yourself, life is lame. All my parents ever do is tell me not to do things because it's dangerous. As a parent, you probably feel like you spend the vast majority of your time staying up late at night thinking about things that your kids might do uh, so you can tell them not to do those things because it's dangerous. Well, here's the deal. Bad news for you kids. Uh, Because you are in the service today and because I am a father and a pastor, I'm going to warn you against something that is dangerous. And and the thing about it is the thing that I want to talk to you about is something that on the outside actually looks really good. It's something that from a distance you would look at and go, that's actually a really good thing. Uh, But I want to warn you against it because it's dangerous. And the thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is legalism. Uh, You won't find the word legalism in the Bible, but you'll see plenty of examples of it. Uh, Legalism is defined as when someone, uh, by their own strength, Uh, tries to earn God's approval by following man-made rules. Uh, Someone who determines, I'm going to do something or accomplish something in their own strength, uh, trying to earn approval from God uh, by following rules uh, that they made up. That is the very definition of of legalism, and there was a group of people in the Bible who were legalist extraordinaires, right? They were the poster children for legalism. They were uh, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees set out uh, to follow all of the rules uh, that God commanded. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, uh, you may have heard of the Ten Commandments before. The Ten Commandments were really just 10 of 613 rules uh, that people were expected to follow. Now, kids, you may think that your parents have a lot of rules. (laughs) They probably don't have 613 rules. But in the Old Testament, you will read as you walk through 613 rules. And these rules, believe it or not, were actually good. Um, The Old Testament law, the rules for living, are actually a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, The Old Testament law was uh, was given for a few different reasons. The first is that the law was a mirror uh, that was held up to someone uh, so they could see who they really were. 
Uh, The Old Testament law was a mirror where it said, this is what holiness looks like, and you would look into the mirror and see uh, whether or not you measured up to all the rules and the regulations that were given. You know what oftentimes happened? People didn't measure up. Uh, But the law was a mirror where people could see what they do not see. Uh, Melissa and I have one of those mirrors in our bathroom that uh, you look in it and everything is like huge. Like you see things that you didn't know were there. Uh, There are times when I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh look, a hair (laughs) on my ear. Right? There it is. I didn't see it until I looked into the mirror and oh, there it was. The Old Testament law is a mirror where we look at ourselves and see how we measure up and we noticed, we see, it's not a pretty picture. Uh, the Old Testament law was also something that made us aware of God's will. It made us aware of God's will. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what God's will for my life is? I wonder what God wants me to do. I wonder what what God is doing in my heart and in my life. I wish that he would just tell me. You know, sometimes he does. (laughs) He's given us his law uh, to to follow. This is what it looks like uh, to chase after me. This is what it looks like uh, to walk with me. And so the law was a mirror. It was a way that we could see God's will. And it was a way that uh, God's people could live and experience the the benefit and the joy of living in a relationship with God. It, it prevented people from experiencing the, the fallout uh, of their rebellion against God. A lot of times we think rules are given to us um, so that we won't have any fun. <laughs> right? As kids, it kind of feels like that sometimes. Like parents are telling you, don't, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that that thing that you want to do, don't do that. And we think, man, you are no fun, mom or dad. You are trying to keep me. You're trying to prevent me uh, from having all of the fun that I want to have. But uh, God's command, his rules given in the Old Testament uh, were something where God wasn't doing it uh, so that we wouldn't have any fun or to diminish our joy. In fact, he was doing it just for the opposite. He was saying, "If, if you follow these commands, it will go well for you. And God wants what is best for his kids, and so he gave them the law. But what the Pharisees did is they uh, took the law of God and they added rules to the rules. Uh, The Pharisees added rules to uh, the rules, and they tried to follow these rules as best that they could, and they tried to make sure that everyone else followed the rules as well. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people that uh, followed him, there was something called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was oral tradition. So people had written rules, but they also had oral tradition where the teachers during the day uh, would share rules with one another. And these rules or these traditions uh, were passed down from generation to generation. Uh, The Mishnah taught that tradition is a fence around the law. And so what do you think of the, the fence kind of keeps you from uh, approaching uh, something that you shouldn't approach, or it keeps you away from doing something that you shouldn't do. It's like when you draw a line in the sand and you say, I don't want you to cross that line. 
but it's tempting to cross the line. Human nature is to approach the line and get close to the line and then get a little closer to the line and a little closer to the line. What the Mishnah did or what oral tradition did is it created a fence around the line and said, well, you're not going to get close to the line anymore. Uh, we're going to keep you as far away from the line as humanly possible. And so uh, the rabbis during the day made rule after rule after rule. Uh, some of them are, are kind of humorous when you think about it. At least they are to us. Uh, one of God's commands was to honor the Sabbath right, and to keep it uh, holy. And so um, they, they created or made rules that would help them to honor the Sabbath. And so it was illegal uh, to look into a mirror on the Sabbath because if you looked into a mirror on the Sabbath, you might find a gray hair. And if you find a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it out. And if you plucked it out, that would be considered working on the Sabbath. You could not wear a false teeth, but uh, if you did and they fell out, you couldn't pick them up. Because hey, that would be working on the Sabbath. Right? And so you just had to look at them. Because if you picked them up and you put them back in, it would be breaking uh, the Sabbath. In regard to carrying a burden, you couldn't carry a handkerchief uh, in your pocket or around with you on the Sabbath. However, uh, you could tie it around your neck because that wasn't considered working. So if you needed to blow your nose, you'd, you'd have to put your handkerchief on your neck and walk somewhere. Maybe you go downstairs, you take it off, you blow your nose because then you're not breaking uh, the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, uh, rabbis debated whether or not someone with a wooden leg, if their home caught on fire, uh, could legally take their leg with them uh, as they got out of the house and avoided uh, the danger of the fire. They're, they debated, they sat around and thought, uh, should they be allowed to do that or shouldn't they be allowed to do that? If you spit on the ground and your sandal touched your spit and you put it into the ground, that would be breaking the commands of God because you would be uh, tilling uh, the soil or cultivating the soil. They had rules upon rules upon rules that not only they followed, but they expected everyone else to follow as well. And so I want to talk to you about some of the dangers uh, that it is to practice uh, legalism. And the first danger in practicing uh, legalism is that legalism always leads uh, to unhealthy comparison. Uh, legalism always leads to unhealthy comparison. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 and 2 reads, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are looking at people who are following Jesus, and they're noticing that they're not operating in the same way um, that, that they are. So they look at Jesus' disciples and they go, hey, there's things that we're practicing and there's things that we're doing as spiritual leaders around here, and I notice that you're not doing it. Uh, in other words, they were comparing themselves uh, with one another. They're comparing themselves with one another. And, and we can be guilty of this all the time. We love to compare, don't we? Man, we love to compare. Kids compare their toys uh, with their friends' toys. 
He said, I just went over to Susie's house, and Susie's got the setup. She's got a separate room with toys. I don't have a separate room with toys. You know, it starts young, doesn't it? As you get a little older and you, you grow up and you find yourself in school thinking about grades, you start uh, comparing your grades with someone else's grades. You say, hey, what did you, what did you get on the test? What did you get on the test? And you wait till the other person says what they got because you want to one-up them. And and if they got like a 98 and you know that you're not in that category, you just go, oh, that's cool. And they're like, what did you get? And you're like, I didn't really study. (laughs) Which means you you did a lot better than I did, and I don't want to tell you that I got a B minus. Now, people love comparing. Adults. Adults, we love to compare. I wish I could say that this is not the case, but we compare things all the time. As adults, we compare our hairline, our waistline, and our bottom line. Uh, We're always looking over our shoulder at the person next to us, uh, seeing how they measure up compared uh, to us. We compare the vacations that we take or the neighborhoods that we live in or the cars uh, that we uh, drive, the estimated year of retirement, our job titles, how much we sold last year, how much we make, on and on and on. The comparison game goes. We love to compare. Uh, Sometimes comparison uh, is just done for fun, right? We compare our favorite place to eat uh, with, hey, what's your favorite place to eat? We compare sports teams. Man, I I love, you know, UNC, and someone else is like, I love Duke, and I don't love either of them, so I can use that as an example. We, We compare sports teams. We compare places to eat. We can things that we do in our free time. That's just fun. That's fun when we do it. We're just kind of being silly, right? Uh, but there's a time when it's not fun, and there's a time when it ceases being silly, and that uh, is when we start comparing uh, our Christian life with uh, someone else's. You see, comparison kills. Comparison kills. It kills our joy. It kills our contentment. And it kills our ability to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life. Uh, Scripture is full of examples when people compared themselves with one another. Uh, Saul compared himself with David and it ate him up. You know, the ladies used to say, the women uh, used to say that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. On an ate away at his heart. He's more successful than I am. He's more loved. Uh, than I am. Comparison uh, kills, and legalism uh, always leads to unhealthy comparison. Because uh, c- you have to look at someone else and go, I'm, I'm going to gauge my walk with Jesus kind of based on uh, where you are, for better or for worse. Uh, and to do that, to do that, when we compare ourselves with other people, uh, Scripture teaches us that it is foolish. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, said not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Uh, some translations say they are foolish. So to spend your days comparing 
your walk or to compare your maturity against someone else, Paul says to the church at Corinth, that is foolish. Uh, Legalism is dangerous because it causes us uh, to have an unhealthy sense of comparison. It's also dangerous because it elevates tradition. Legalism elevates tradition. Verse uh, 3 through 5 in Mark chapter 7, a read for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Uh, The leaders, the spiritual leaders of the day, would would, uh, make themselves ceremonially clean by putting water into their hands before they would eat. Just a little bit of water. And they would hold their hands up like this, and they would let the water uh, run down their wrist. And then they would take their hands and open their fingers and let the water uh, run off their fingers. It was something that the rabbis uh, would do to be ceremonially clean. But oftentimes, uh, the people of the day adopted those traditions. And so they did uh, the same thing in order to be clean Uh, before God. It became a tradition for them, Um, but they measured everyone else by that tradition that they had set uh, for themselves. How many kids have traditions in your house? Do you guys have traditions? Anyone? Any things that you do around Christmas or, or Easter or birthdays? Maybe you guys have traditions in your house. We have traditions in mine. I learned a tradition early on when I met uh, Melissa for birthdays in her family. Uh, Whosever birthday it is, they'll go around the circle and they'll say what they love about the person whose birthday it is. Right? It's a way to honor that individual. I remember that because the first time uh, I did that with Melissa's family was, I think, the first time that I met her father. Um, And so that's a little awkward when you're sitting at a table at a restaurant, you're meeting your girlfriend's dad for one of the first times, and you have to go around in a circle and say, "Uh, John, um, I love you because, and I'm like, we just met. Like, I don't, I don't know if I love you or not. You seem like a nice man, but I don't know if I'm ready to commit to that kind of language yet. But that's what her family did, and it's something that we have adopted over the years. It's a way that we honor one another. Scripture teaches us that we should outdo one another in showing honor. It's a really good thing. But you know what would be kind of a silly thing? It'd be a silly thing if I came alongside you and go, Hey, do you do that for birthdays in your house? Right, do, you, do, you, do you go around in a circle and, and, and say why you love that person? Then if you were to answer to me no, and I were to be like, well, oh, well, you don't, well, you don't love your family? Because, you I mean, I, we love our family in our house. That, that's what we do in our house. Right? It's, it's biblical because we're supposed to honor one another. And the way we've chosen to honor one another is to go in the circle, whether you like it or not, and say what you love about the person who's celebrating a birthday can't believe you don't do that. I mean, when in many ways, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying, we have these traditions, this, this way of operating, and, and it's not just for us. Um, we kind of expect you to do the same thing as well, and if you don't uh, do that, then we're going to look down upon you because you're, you're kind of missing out. You see, legalism does that. It takes the things that we do or the decisions that we've made as people, and we project those same expectations on other people. 
Uh, when I was growing up in the church, we did this with dress, with what we would wear on Sunday morning. If someone wasn't dialed up all the way, if they didn't have the suit and the tie, people kind of looked around going, oh, someone didn't dress for the wedding. I mean, maybe they know the Lord, but I'm not sure. Because they weren't wearing the same duds that we were. Uh, people can do this with... Uh, with, with the way that they raise their children or that the decisions they make is a family. Uh, some people choose to send their kids to a particular school, a public school or a private school or a home school. And, and it can be subtle, but oftentimes when we hear other people's stories or we hear about other people's decisions, we go, oh, oh, you didn't go to the public school. Oh, yeah, well, see, we really believe that our son's a missionary. And so we're, we're sending him out. Or someone else goes, away. Well, hey, we, we homeschooled because we really believe that it's the parent's responsibility uh, to raise a child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so we're just pouring into them. And we, and we do this real subtly, but we come alongside other people. And in our minds, we have this picture of, of what it looks like to really follow Jesus and to, to really be spiritual. And all of a sudden, we run into a story that doesn't quite match up with our story. And we go, oh, oh. We, we elevate our traditions in such a way that if other people don't follow them, uh, we, we maybe very subtly kind of look down upon them. That's what the Pharisees did. Legalism is dangerous because it elevates tradition, but it's also dangerous because it ignores uh, what matters to God. Legalism is dangerous because it ignores what matters to God. Verse 6 says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. By the way, if Jesus says this about you, that's not a good thing. <laughs> well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Uh, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And the Pharisees were really good at saying the right thing. And they could, they could talk the talk. They could talk the talk. They, they were uh, like Eddie Haskell from the 60s TV show Leave it to Beaver. You remember Eddie Haskell? Uh, Eddie Haskell was one of these guys that, um, uh, that, that always would schmooze with June Cleaver. Right? He, was, he was the one that uh, would, would uh, see June and say, Hey, you look lovely today. So good to see you this morning. He was the, the classic uh, kiss up. He was the classic kiss-up. There's this a one saying from the show, hey, Brosnan, put that up. This is typical of Eddie Haskell. Hey, Wally, uh, if your brother is going to tag, or if your dumb brother is going to tag along, I'm going to, oh, oh, good afternoon, Mrs. Cleaver. I was just telling Wallace how pleasant it would be for Theodore to accompany us to the movies. Right? That was his life. Right? He would say one thing, but he, he would quickly veer off and correct himself and, and put on this picture, this facade. Right? And oftentimes we uh, can be guilty of doing uh, the same things. We, we say uh, the right things. Right? We, we, we have the right verbiage down. We can, we can talk the Christian talk. But there are times when our hearts can be far from God. Jesus uh, condemns 
of the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. And he says, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen to what he says. He says, in vain do they worship me. And so these are the, the, the kind of folks that can come to the worship service and they can get excited and passionate about worshiping the Lord. If you were just to look over your shoulder to the left or the right, you may look at them and go, man, he loves Jesus. Uh, she is passionate about Jesus. I just see it. I mean, I can see it by just looking at their faces. I mean, I mean look at them. They're really worshiping. And Jesus tells the Pharisees that, that when you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Uh, you worship in vain. Legalism uh, ignores the matters uh, that matter to God. And what matters uh, to God is the human heart. Right? It is your heart and it is my heart. It's not simply the things that we say when someone catches us in a good moment. And to be quite honest with you, it's not uh, even the things that we do that from the outside looking in actually look uh, very good. Uh, the Christian faith is a faith uh, that deals with uh, the human heart. And one of the challenges of legalism, one of the dangers uh, in legalism is it misdiagnoses uh, the real problem that we face. Uh, so oftentimes we operate in such a way that the real problem uh, we face is out there, right? There's bad stuff out there, and we need to keep ourselves uh, from the bad stuff. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 14 says, And he called the people to him again and said to him, or said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked about the parable, and he said to them, uh, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. There were certain foods that people thought they could eat that would make them holy or righteous or good before God. And Jesus is saying that it's really not so much about the things that are coming into your stomach. It's about the human heart. He says in verse 20, And he said to him, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So in other words, uh, the problem is not out there. Right? The problem that we face as human beings, fallen human beings, is from within. Uh, it is the human heart. And so oftentimes we function in such a way that it's just the opposite. You remember when you were a kid, how many times uh, you got in trouble with your mom or dad and your response was, it was my brother. Right? It, it was my sister. He looked at me. She's annoying. Uh, he took something that belonged to me. The, the problem in this relationship is that he doesn't appreciate me. 
Uh, the problem is that she doesn't honor me. Uh, the, the problem is that he leaves his stuff out. Uh, the problem is that she's always on the phone. Uh, the problem is they always have time uh, for their friends, but not uh, for me. The problem is I don't make enough or I don't have enough. The problem uh, is the culture. Right? The problem is that it's so accessible. Uh, the problem is always out there in our minds. But Jesus is saying, no, <laughs> the problem is in here. Right? And so what do we do uh, with this problem that we face? Well, here's the deal. We, we can't make ourselves uh, good enough. We can't uh, make ourselves holy enough. We can't uh, make ourselves clean by following a list of, of rules and regulations as good as they may be because we always fall short. This is what Scripture teaches us. Every time God gave the law, every time he gave expectations, every time he even added rules upon rules upon rules, people had this crazy ability uh, to not do what was asked of them. Because right? we're broken. We have fickle hearts. And so we're quick to go astray. And so God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to fulfill the law perfectly, uh, to do what we never could do. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died and rose again. He defeated death. The punishment that belonged to you and to me uh, was paid for by uh, Jesus. That is uh, the good news of uh, the gospel, that goodness before God doesn't come uh, because we jump through some spiritual hoops. It comes because and through the finished work of Jesus uh, on the cross. He is our only hope in life uh, and in death. Legalism, listen, uh, legalism is dangerous. It's, it's dangerous because it results in comparison. It's dangerous because it elevates tradition. It's dangerous because it misdiagnoses uh, the actual problem. But it's also dangerous uh, because ultimately, uh, as we pursue legalism or if we live a legalistic life, we ultimately miss out on the joy that God wants us to experience and have. Uh, if you spend your days spinning your wheels trying to earn something that's already been given to you, you will always be disappointed. A number of weeks ago, Melissa took our three children and uh, jacked the dog to Crowder's Mountain. Um, they had uh, decided that they were going to climb the mountain to go to uh, the pinnacle. It's about two and a half miles uh, from the Welcome Center up to the pinnacle of Crowder's Mountain. Have you climbed it before? And it's an enjoyable experience if you want to accelerate uh, the end of your life. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I grew up in Michigan. It's just flat. Right, so any little hill, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Uh, it's not easy to get up to the top, but Melissa uh, took the children and Jack. Jack, in typical Jack fashion, led the way. Uh, he, he dragged, I think, my oldest son pretty much uh, the whole way. And when they got to near the pinnacle, when they almost got to uh, the peak, they saw this sign. And it reads, warning, serious injuries and deaths have occurred beyond this point. Warning. When I read that, I thought, danger. Right? And what do you do when you get close to danger? What do you do? And when I found out Melissa and the kids uh, climbed Crowder's Mountain, when they went on that for the hike and they did it without me, uh, I, was, I was a little bummed. I was working during the week. <laughs> You're welcome. 
so I couldn't go, but I decided that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to go to Crowder's Mountain. I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. And so one day I decided to get up early uh, in the morning. I drove down to Crowder's Mountain, and I walked up to the mountain. And you'll never guess what I saw when I walked that two and a half miles up the mountain. I saw that sign. Not that. I saw that sign that says serious injuries and deaths have occurred uh, beyond this point. Warning. Warning. And I saw that sign, and I went, huh, okay. And I kept climbing, and I saw this. That's the peak of Crowder's Mountain. It's a great view. I had my backpack with me. I pulled it out, had my Bible, spent some time uh, with the Lord. I listened to an old hymn, man, that God just used to encourage my soul in that moment. It was just such a sweet time. I spent a little bit of time up there, and I walked down Crowder's Mountain, the two and a half miles down the mountain, and I drove home, and I got home, and I was talking to Melissa, and I told her, hey, I had a chance to go to Crowder's Mountain, and I looked out, and I go, it's just such a, a beautiful view, and she goes, well, James, didn't you see the sign? And I'm like, the sign? And she's like, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a big sign there. It says danger, danger, right? Serious injury or death can occur. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I saw the sign, and I walked right by it. And I'm like, did you not go up to the peak? Like, you didn't see, like, the pinnacle? And she's like, well, well no. She's like, James, I was, I was with the, ch the children. I, I was with Cademan and Noah and, and Amelia, and we had Jack the dog pulling us, the little Jack Russell Terrier. And I'm like, you... You didn't go to the peak? You, you walked 2.49 miles to the peak, and you didn't go to the peak? She's like, James, I had the children. It was dangerous. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's what legalism is. It really is. You, you go through life, and all of a sudden, you, you come to the point where you see a sign. And legalism says, danger, danger. And you go, oh. And you turn around and you walk away. But when you turn around and you walk away, you miss out on the beauty and the joy of a grace-filled, spirit-driven life with God. You miss the view. You miss the view. Renaissance, I, I pray as a, as a people of God that we would not uh, miss the view as we follow man-made rules and regulations that quite honestly have nothing to do uh, with a vibrant and growing uh, relationship with Jesus. My prayer for you uh, and for me is that you would enjoy the view. Would you pray with me? Father God, thanks so much for uh, your grace and for uh, your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus to, uh, to be for us what we never could be. Thank you, Lord, for his perfect obedience, for his sacrificial uh, death. Thank you that he was good enough uh, for us. And so he's freed us uh, to, to know you and to follow you and to love you, uh, not out of duty but out of delight. Uh, Lord, would you give us hearts uh, that are being molded by you? Would you uh, remove hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh? Would your Holy Spirit move in us in such a way uh, that you would allow us to experience the joy and the freedom of life 
uh, with you. God will give you all the glory and all the praise for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.